All right, John chapter 14 and verse number 1. John 14 and verse number 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for another opportunity. Lord, we're thankful that we can find great encouragement from your word. We live in a world where there's much discouragement, much uh, discord amongst divisions. But Lord, we're so thankful that we can come and we can pause from the busyness of life and look in your word and see truth, see peace, see unity. Lord, I pray that we would follow you and thank you for your many blessings. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The, the title of my message is A Place Called Heaven. A Place Called Heaven. Uh, I was born and raised in Newfoundland, and uh, my parents were born and raised in Newfoundland as well. Uh, from what I've determined from my genealogies, uh, from my mom and dad's side, my mom's family came from Eastern Ireland. Uh, and uh, when a couple of years ago, uh, me and my wife were in Cork, and we weren't off the airplane for not even a half, uh, I should say outside of the airport, not half an hour, and I saw my mom's maiden name on coffee trucks. There's a Mars Coffee. They follow a good path, coffee. But at any rate, uh, so that's where my mom's family is from originally. Back in early 1800s, they moved to Newfoundland. And then my dad's family, uh, they come from Liverpool originally. Back in 1860s, 1850s, they immigrated from Liverpool to Newfoundland. Uh, so numerous generations were born and raised in Newfoundland. Uh, my mom and dad accepted Christ uh, when I was, I guess, about three, maybe four years old. Uh, I think it was actually three. Uh, I cannot remember anything but the Lord Jesus Christ being exalted in my family, in my home that I grew up in. I can't remember anything but that. I went to church with my family. My folks loved the Lord. Uh, they were, my parents, both my mom and dad, were custodians at the church for many years. Uh, my dad physically helped build the building. Uh, he was, my, my dad was in a lot of construction, still is, and uh, served, my dad served as a deacon for a while. My mom was in with the kiddies in the nursery. I mean, this is all kind of stuff that I grew up with and saw my parents serving the Lord, and I knew they were serious about it. And my dad would often speak to me about uh, my need for Christ and me to follow the Lord and do what his word says. And I have to say that is a great example to all parents. Uh, my, my folks are never pastor and Mrs. Pastor or anything of that nature and pastor's wife, uh, but they just serve the Lord faithfully and they encourage others to do the same. Great examples uh, as parents. So I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home. I enjoyed the benefit of, uh, of a, my dad's extended family who were saved. Uh, they knew the Christ as their Savior. They, may, they were Christians who were trying to walk and do right, uh, walk for the Lord. I knew what to say and what not to say. When I was about 14, 15 years old, I made a profession of faith. 
I mean, I knew all about it. Uh, it was not unknown to me what I should say, what I shouldn't do. And I helped with my folks around the building. I still remember helping my dad build the church building. I, I remember almost every week going with my folks to church to clean it up. Uh, it was just part of my life. And as uh, I finished high school, so for all of us who have finished high school, some more recent thinking of right now, don't you get a little irritated as you're finishing high school? What are you going to do next? That's the great question, right? And uh, I remember as I was finishing high school, I didn't know what I was going to do. My, my dad and my grandpa, my pop, that's what we call them, pop, they owned a business, family business, and they came to me, my dad particularly, and said, hey, you want to get into the family business? And that was a hard no right from the beginning. I, I did not want, not to have any problems with a mechanical shop or selling tires, but that wasn't for me. I can tell you right now, I knew that wasn't what was going to be for me. Uh, I was always thinking about serving the public, and I really thought about becoming a Mountie. That was something that was on my heart. I thought, maybe I should do that. And I remember going into the recruitment center there in the east side of St. John's and walking into a big auditorium, and there was about 70 of us there, all kind of pursuing the same idea. And the sergeant got up and said, we're only going to take 2.5% of you. And I'm not really good at maths. But I knew I wasn't going to make the cut of 2.5%. I mean, I was like, I yeah, forget this. I'm not, I'm not going to put all, I had to do a lot of work to even get into the process of it. So like, no, forget that. I'm not doing that. Then, uh, uh, have a lot of family, uh, history and family connections with the military. So I thought, ah, oh, maybe I'll join the military. And the day I went to the military recruiting center, it was closed. So I'm like, okay, well, that's not it for me either. I uh, never went back the second time. And then, uh, as, you know, the high school year progressed and things. I said, well, I'll, I'll attend Bible college. You know, I'll, I'll go there. I mean, I know it's a good environment. It won't sink me financially. And I did like the idea of teaching, especially history. I love history. And uh, so I went off to college, Bible college, and uh, made a lot of friends. It was I'm not going to say it was easy, but I had a lot of good times there. But it wasn't the good times that struck the chord about my need of heaven. It was the preaching at Bible College. And it was convicting. Sometimes I wondered if the guy who was preaching knew something about me that I didn't tell anybody else. Uh, and that's the Holy Spirit working in your hearts and lives. If that's ever happened to you, that, that's the Lord working in your heart and life. And uh, this portion of Scripture I just read for you was preached on a Sunday night on April 1st, 1996. It was... A Bible conference time there at Faithway, and this pastor got and preached this. It wasn't a salvation message as much as he was referring to, you know, the Lord's building a mansion we need to do for you, but you need to, you know, live right and send the materials ahead type idea, love for Christ. It was more of a motivational type message about living for Christ rather than salvation emphasis. But as I sat and listened to him preach that night, Again, after multiple times feeling very convicted uh, in the college chapel and in service, I realized that, hey, my profession wasn't true. And since I made a profession, but I never accepted Christ as my Savior. So one of those mansions were not mine. Up until the moment I accepted Christ as Savior, I realized that I was a sinner. Romans uh, three ten: there's none righteous, no, not one. And Romans three twenty three: for all sin comes short of the glory of God. I mean, I lived a pretty decent life. I mean, I wasn't running with the wrong crowd. I tried my best to follow the golden rule. You know, I, I wasn't tearing up the city and 
you know, doing drugs or any of that kind of stuff. No, I, I, if, in the world's eyes, I lived a pretty clean life. But it's not in the world's eyes. It's what the Lord says. What does the Word of God says? And it says, I've sinned. And uh, no problem, I didn't have to phone my mom to verify that, that I had sinned. Mom had told me numerous times I've done wrong, same with my dad. I had lied, I had been mean, I'd spoken wrongly. So I was guilty of sin before an almighty God. That's what I was. So I was a sinner. I realized I was a sinner. I realized I was headed to a Christless eternity. Uh, continuing with Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death. That means the price for our sin, for my sin, was eternally eternal death separated from God. And I was going to a place called hell. That's what the Word of God says. I believe the Word of God. It doesn't matter what I've done for Christ or what I tried to do. or If it's outside of Christ, I'm headed to a Christless eternity in hell. I mean, I could try to do all kinds of things in the name of Jesus, but if I haven't accepted Christ as Savior, I'm lost. I'm lost. At that night, I, I believed... On the Lord Jesus Christ, I accept Him as my Lord and Savior, Romans 10.10, 10, for with the heart man believeth on the righteous, but uh, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I understood I was lost. I understood I was heading one way, doing my own thing. I was uh, trying to do it my way. I, didn't, I wasn't involved with you know, anything spooky. I wasn't running with terrible, horrible people. I mean, I was going to church every Sunday, but religion doesn't save you. So I turned from that thought of how I should live, I turned from that, and I placed my full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I could never earn salvation. No one can ever earn it. You have to accept the gift. Put my faith and trust in Christ. And it wasn't a prayer that saved me. It was the desire of my heart in the sense I chose Christ. That's a decision you have to make. You chose to come to church this morning. You just didn't happen to be here you know, with your suit and tie on. You didn't wake up with that on. You went with the bit in your pajamas and you woke up with your suit and tie on. No, you decided to come. Hey, I decided for Christ. I accepted His gift. And my life has been drastically changed by that decision. Drastically. And because of that decision, there's all kinds of benefits of knowing Christ as your Savior. But one of the... Gr- and one of the greatest is heaven. Heaven is a wonderful result, benefit of knowing Christ as Savior. D.L. Moody said, The thought of heaven has cheered the soul of many believers. Some say that we are fools to believe in heaven, but to deny heaven is to deny Jesus. For He came from heaven. It is to place our departed loved ones in the cold, dark grave. It's to deprive millions of Christians of the greatest hope they have. To deny heaven is to equal to murder for it kills hope. To thievery for it robs joy. To slander because it calls God a liar. Heaven's real, folks. Heaven is absolutely real. By God's word, it's real. It's real. It's true. And we live in a world today uh, that does not offer much encouragement to anyone, and particularly to a Christian. We see crime, we see wickedness, we see ungodliness abound. It's easy to become uh, discouraged and disappointed. That's why I think it's great to be reminded again about heaven. And be encouraged. First Peter 2.11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. 
Abstain, abstain from freshly lost, which war against the soul. Hey, we're pilgrims through this land. That means this is not our final abode. We're traveling. Now, a lot of us would love to travel right now, uh, but the idea of a pilgrim is that you're just traveling to see things and, and enjoy the culture or the food or the people. No, pilgrims, the idea is that we're not home yet. We're not home yet. We're heading that way. Place called heaven. There's a place called heaven. Verse number three talks about it. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Heaven's a place made for those who are saved. For those who know Christ as Savior. It doesn't get any more clear than that in verse number three. He's going to go prepare you a place. He's going to prepare a place for the bride, for the church, for those who know Christ. And a description, probably the greatest description and uh, then the dis- dimensions, we talk, the, the precious metals and gold and things, and the dimensions of the cities found in Revelation chapter 21. I encourage you to read that, uh, and you will be encouraged. It's a truly astounding place that God is building. So it's a prepared place. Don't you like it when you go to someone's place, or you go on vacation, or you go to uh, a little getaway, and the place is prepared for you? Now, we wouldn't like a hotel room if you showed up and the sheets are on the floor, you know, and the place is not really cleaned up. You know, the bathroom's a state. You're like, ugh, I'm not paying for this. It's not prepared. Hey, heaven is prepared. Amen? It's prepared for his, uh, his bride, those who know Christ as Savior. It's, it's gonna be, there's gonna be people there. It's gonna be populated. Heaven wasn't just built for the habitation of God. He built this city so all those who are saved by faith through, through the ages will come and spend eternity with Him. I can't even imagine the host that will be in heaven from the ages past, you know, thousands of years, until whatever is in the future, of those who have accepted Christ as Savior, they will be there. And it's forever, thy kingdom, uh, Psalms 145, verse 13, thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. So this place he's preparing is perpetual, it's forever. The light of the city will never dim, nor go out. Never happen. The glories of the city will never fade away. Those mansions will never need renovations. Never need it. My great-grandfather was a master carpenter. I did not get any of his skills. I'm going to tell you right now. I did, well, I did not inherit any of those skills. He was so good that he would be actually hired by wealthier individuals in Boston, Massachusetts to go and build homes. He lived in Newfoundland. That was his place. But he would travel down there for work. And he would build homes. He lived in Everton, uh, Everett, Massachusetts, and it's just a suburb of Boston. Now, that was back in like early 1920s. He did that. Uh, if any of the homes that he was involved with still stand, I assure you they did not look like what he built. That's 100 years ago, right? 1920, 2020? They wouldn't look, if they, they would not look because the weather would tear them down, right? The environment would tell, tear them up. They had been greatly renovated from when he built them. The mansions of heaven are unchanged forever. They're perfect forever. 
That's kind of the next part. Is It's perfect. It's a perfect place. Uh, Revelation 21, 27. And there shall no wise enter into anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but that which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Listen, those who show up in heaven are there on purpose. They've accepted Christ as Savior. Nothing else gets in that place. It will be perfect. Perfect. A little girl was walking with her dad one night in a small town. And they looked up and you know, so there's no there's not much light pollution in a small town compared to in the big city where we live. And she looked up and saw all the stars and how beautiful it was. And she looked at her dad and said, Dad, if this is the wrong side of heaven, imagine what the right side is like. You know, the idea that sin has corrupted our world, but we see such beauty in the stars. I mean, heaven is going to be marvelous. It's going to be perfect. Revelation 21.4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. We all face different types of pain, don't we? Some is irritating. You know, you get up in the morning, that knee is a bit sore. Oh, come on, start working right. You know, and other pain is a lot more difficult to deal with. Some pain is so severe you can't work. Some people can't get out of bed because of pain and sickness. I'm telling you, that's that's encouraging to me to know there's no pain. There's no death. There's no tears. Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not of meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. No disturbances of the peace in heaven. I am so looking forward to that. Uh, uh, we live next to a you know fairly busy street, uh, and these guys put these mufflers on that make such a racket. I mean, there's been a couple times where I want to go out there and put one of those spike strips across and just stop going up and down this road. Go in the middle of the woods and do it. <laughs> I know, uh, and then the, the deer will take care of you out there. But anyways, uh, you know, I'm just tired of that. And then. Yeah, just driving. I told my wife just the other day, he's like, I get so stressed out sometimes just driving home. And people are swerving in and blowing the horn. I don't know if they're blowing at me. Did I do something wrong and I'm not paying attention? It's just, oh! peace. Hear, hear the birds chirping. I mean, that's the type of peace I want when I'm driving home. Maybe I should get a recording of birds chirping and put it in my car as I drive home. But anyways... Uh, just that peace. And it's for eternity. For eternity. Joy. Revelation seven seventeen. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the fountain shall feed them. And shall lead them into uh, onto living water, uh, fountains of living water. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. We're going to pee. We're going to have joy. The Lord's going to take care of all our needs. Tears are banished. You know, things of wickedness are banished. This is going to be amazing. It's going to be truly astounding. A fellow by the name of Uncle Johnston, he, he lived to be 112 years old in the state of Michigan, and one day his pastor was happening to walk by as he was working in his garden, and he heard him singing praises to God, and he, a pastor kind of yelled over the fence. He said, Oh, you seem pretty happy today, Uncle Johnston. And he replied, Yes, I was thinking. And the pastor said, well, what were you thinking about to cause you to be so happy? 
Because I was thinking that the crumbs of joy that fall from the master table in this world are so good, won't the great loaf and glory be so much better to sit down with the Lord? The joy. You now, there's going to be the people in heaven too. We're going to be there. Now, verse 3 definitely refers to that. You come on, uh, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am ye may be also. That's referring to people. He's referring just directly to the disciples, but he's talking about all Christians. You know, the people in heaven, they're redeemed. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Only those who know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, those who have accepted Jesus Christ, will enter that city. Those who have been washed the blood of the Lamb. And when we, when we get there, the idea is that we're to save people, redeem people, but we're going to be a righteous people as well. Revelation 21, I'll talk about the, not what sort of things work as abomination or make as lie. They won't be allowed in there. They won't be able to get in there. And we're not righteous of our own effort. We're righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And there's reference to that in Philippians 3, verse 4, 11. And there's going to be rejoicing. Rejoicing. Uh, Revelation 5 Verses 9 to 14, I'm not going to read it all for you, but I wouldn't tell you that in that portion of Scripture, we see a scene of singing, rejoicing, worshiping, and honoring the Almighty God. The family of God is safe at home. There, there is much to worship. There's much to rejoice. Uh, I can think of my family, uh, earthly family, once this crazy stuff is done and we can travel again and, uh, and go see my folks uh, in Newfoundland, it will be great. And I'll, I can tell you some things that are going to happen. There will be feasts. Okay, there will be big meals prepared. I just, I just know the culture, right? That's how we do things out there. There's going to be all kinds of food. And uh, everybody, the food will be gone, and everybody at the one time will be talking. And they will talk very loud. Whoever talks the loudest will get the, per, you know, they will get to be the speaker. Now, that's the way it works in Newfoundland. Uh, in my family, most families I know in Newfoundland, it's going to be, as my mom would say, a racket. There's going to be a huge racket, uh, and it's going to be great. Uh, we're going to go down to the beach and have a big old fire and, and burn every bit of driftwood we can find and maybe a couple fences, okay? And just have a great time to be together and, and then maybe go fishing or whatever. It's going to be wonderful. I look forward to it. It's going to be a great time. But that far pales to the reunion in heaven. And we are going to rejoice. Uh, we are going to lift our voices and praise to God. It will be perfect. It will be perfect. John 14.3 says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am ye may be also. We'll be in the presence of Christ. All, all our attempts, I mean, I know we have Scripture that tells us and describes some of heaven. But even that, we can't really get our mind all around heaven. It's too grand. It's too much. I mean, in a good way, it's too much. A doctor, a Christian doctor, went to see a man at his home who was dying, and he told the man he was a Christian. He said, you know, it won't be long now. You'll be passing from this life to the next. And uh, that man, he was... I mean, I, I don't think you're ever really ready to hear that. And he was you know, very discouraged at the moment. And he said to the doctor, uh, 
Can, can you tell me what it's going to be like there? And, and the doctor, he, he was kind of taken off guard by the, the question. You know, he was thinking very medical. You know, how can I help the man? And, and so that question took him by surprise, and he was kind of stunned for a moment. What, what, what? He's trying to think of verses. And then he heard a, a pawing at the door. He had brought his dog with him to visit this man. So you know that this story is a few years old, okay? What doctor brings her dog to go visit anyone now, but... Hey, right, he heard the dog panting at the door, hitting the door with his paw, and he said, Hey, you hear that noise? And the man said, Yes, I hear that noise. He said, That's my dog. He came with me. He got a little restless downstairs. He came upstairs. He knows I'm in here. He's, he's pawing to get in here. He doesn't know what's behind the door, but he knows the master's there. He said, I don't know everything that's going to be in heaven, but we do know as Christians the master is there. And the master only gives us what's best for us. What a great illustration to help us understand the master. He's there. We'll be in the presence of him for eternity. First Thessalonians 4.17 Then we which are alive and remain shall be cut up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I, I, right now it would be great to go in the clouds. I'd be fine with that. Uh, to the, the, be the rapture, that's what's referring to here. And uh, listen, the idea is well that we look forward to seeing family and those who preceded us in death, in heaven, we'll see them again. There'll be a grand re- reunion in heaven like that, grand reuniting of family and friends. I mean, praise the Lord, I've been pastoring now for over 20 years and I, there's been a lot of folks that I've buried given the final eulogy, their their, their message at the gravesite. And I look forward to seeing them. And just, just recently, Brother Ian passed away. I do not know how many times I sat in Ian's apartment and he talked about heaven. He tried to figure out what heaven was all like. And Ian had that mind. He, he was the stereotypical Scotsman. Always analyzing, always thinking, always engaging in more information. He, he just loved all that. And we would talk about heaven for hours, and he'd look at me and goes, I really won't figure it out till I get there, will I? I'm like, nope, you won't. You won't. He's there now. He's there now. And I look forward to reuniting, seeing Ian, and seeing so many others. It's, a, it's going to be a sinless place. I read for you to know there's not going to be no work of abomination. No sin will enter there, Revelation 21, 27. All our burdens will be lifted. I don't know about you, but... I'm, I get weary of all the news we hear about how bad it is and things of that nature. You hardly hear any good news. And, you know, the numbers this, the numbers that, and all this stuff, and how bad the economy is. And, oh, it's, it gets burdensome at times. There's no burdens there. No burdens there. I'll be lifted away. That's the idea of Revelation 21. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. No, neither sorrow. It means all gone. We don't have to worry about it anymore. And there's rewards. Uh, Revelation 22, verse 12, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as he, his work shall be. Listen, we work for Christ, there will be rewards. That's a great incentive. If there was, that's a great incentive to serve Jesus Christ. We should serve Him because we love Him, but then the rewards, that's amazing. That's another bonus, another blessing. Heaven is going to be a place of joy, happiness, excitement, and that should get us encouraged and fired up for Christ now, where we are right now, to know that's our future. Hey, 
Have you ever planned a big trip? You're going to go do something, wherever it is. I mean, obviously, we probably do a lot of daydreaming about this right now, about in the future. But think of the past when you've made a big plan to go somewhere. I think a couple of years ago, me and my wife went to Holland and Ireland, a couple other countries there in Europe, and I was so excited. I was so excited. I mean, I, I understood I knew the day I was leaving, but I was so excited about what we're going to do when we get there and who we're going to see and, uh, and the food I'm going to taste and things of that nature, all right? Uh, so it was exciting. Hey, Christian, we might not know the day of our departure, but we know the future is heaven. Amen? We shouldn't get excited about it. Uh, and, and as I drew closer to that Departure time I was talking more about. I think my kids got sick of it. They just tuned me out at home. And and listen, we can be excited about heaven. That's our future. Verses 4 to 6 of John chapter 14. The Lord lays out the path to heaven. And whether I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest. How can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Hey, it's only through Christ. It's only through Christ. There is not multiple paths to heaven. There's only one. There's only one. I can get home, back to my place, my residence in Brampton. I can go lots of different ways once I leave church this morning. But there's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or sorry, neither is there any name, uh, salvation any other, but there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby he must be saved. Only those who walk the path, who walk the way of Christ. I'm not saying works or anything, but choose the path. Choose Christ. They're the ones who enjoy heaven. They're the ones blessed with heaven for eternity. But the great thing is, this path is not exclusive. It's an open path. Anyone can get on this path. Just like I did in April 1st, 1996. Anyone can get on this path. Uh, path uh, Acts 16.31 And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. That was Paul uh, speaking to the Philippian jailer. They had a wonderful testimony. And the Philippian jailer knew that Paul had something that he didn't. And he tells him. That scripture is wonderful. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust in Him. There's no strings attached. No strings attached. The path is open. No one is turned away. Listen, the richest man in the world can come to Christ and Christ will receive him. The poorest man on earth could come to Christ and he would receive him. The man with all the influence, the woman with all kinds of influence, doesn't matter the gender. The reality is all can come to Christ. Everyone. No one's going to be turned away just like I did 24 years ago. You can do the same thing. You know, as a pastor, there's times when you are ministering to your congregation that someone finds out that they have a terminal illness, cancer or something else. Now, there's a story told of a pastor who had a lady in his church who was um, diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer. And uh, the doctors had given her three months to live. She had phoned her pastor, and the pastor and his wife came over to visit her and obviously encourage her and things. And, uh, and she said, you know, pastor, I need to get, 
I need to get everything in order. I want to get everything in order for my funeral. I want it all planned out now. Let's get it done now. And then I don't have to think about it. It's all complete. Pastor, that's, that's great. Uh, I'll happily help you out. Let, let's, let's write it all down now. So they, they talked about it and, and did up her final wishes. And she told them the song she wanted. She, uh, she told them what kind of message she wanted to preach at her funeral, the scriptures. Uh, uh, told the pastor's wife, you know, I want this uh, around my coffin or whatever and type of thing. And uh, You might not think about all those details. I guarantee you, as a pastor and pastor's wife, my wife can attest to, we're involved with that often. Right? And we, we want, we're there because we want to be a blessing and a help in a very trying time. And uh, so they're all finished that, and the pastor and his wife get up, and they're starting to walk out the door, and then she suddenly remembers, oh, pastor, there's one more thing I totally forgot about. And the pastor's like, well, I've done this lots of times, but I can't think of anything you've forgotten of. What, what, what have you forgotten? She goes, this is very important. Okay, okay, he gets his pen and paper out, he gets ready to write it down. She, go, he says, she says to him, I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. Now, I've heard some really strange requests at funerals too, but I've never heard that one. And uh, this pastor didn't either, and he kind of stared at the, the, his wife and then at the lady. And, Fork in your hands. And uh, the puzzlement on his face told the lady that she needed to explain. She says, let me explain. He goes, please do. <laughs> Tell me why. Uh, she said, in all my years of attending church, the potluck dinners and the socials, when the dishes of the main course were cleared away, someone would lean in and whisper in my ear, keep your fork. And she goes, that's my favorite part of the meal because that's when they would come out with a velvet chocolatey cake or that deep dish apple pie. I'm not, I'm, I'm not making this up. This is what she said, okay? All right. This is what she said. She said, so when people see me in the casket with my fork in my hand, they'll ask, what's with the fork? She said, you can tell them she kept the fork because the best is yet to come. Isn't that so true? The best is yet to come. Do you know Christ as Savior? Because if you don't, the best is not yet to come. But if you know Christ as Savior, the best is yet to come. With every head bowed, eyes closed, Michelle's going to play in just a moment. I love that story of that lady. She was so right. The best is yet to come. Christian, we have an amazing eternity in store, and the things I mentioned were just but a few, because we don't know everything. But it should motivate us to live for Christ today. We need not ever fear of losing heaven. That's our home. And I hope that it would motivate you to speak of Christ. It would motivate you to live for Christ, maybe in greater ways than you've ever had before. Maybe you're here or you're watching, and you've never accepted Christ as Savior. I would urge you to make that great decision. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. I can testify that I have never regretted making that decision. Yes, there's been hard times, hard decisions, broken hearted, 
but Christ was there and he helped along the way. Your best yet to come is in Christ and only through him. Dear Jesus, thank you for the reality of heaven for those who have accepted you as your Lord and Savior. Lord, it's a place beyond description. It's a place we do not deserve, but we're so thankful for it. Help us to rejoice in that truth today. Help us to be encouraged to serve you in a greater way because of that reality, that truth, once again, we are reminded of. And Lord, I pray you be with any who are here or who are watching or will watch or that are not saved. Lord, I pray that they would make that great decision, the greatest decision of their life, change this life and the one to come. Lord, I pray you bless us now, encourage our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.